0: okay we're started
1: today's yes. Is that today's? Yes. <laughs> it's today today. Yes, today today's. Let me make sure this is on. Rachel, is this on? Can you hear this? Looks like we need more toner for our yeah. printer mm-hmm. testing. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Well, just it's on now for announcements and stuff.
2: Good morning, morning. wonderful to see you all here on this beautiful morning. Couple announcements, again, offering box, we're we're using that, Andrea's number. Been using that a lot lately, haven't we? Um, Days of Praise booklets are here along with Acts and Facts. Acts and Facts have a big diamond on them this month. Make use of those. no communion service today, most of you got the, uh, again, the, the prayer chain um, text uh, next Sunday and uh, plan on a dinner following, so anything that we have omitted this morning? Phil, you want to give a one-minute update on the, I see trusses is laying out there, I didn't see him at first, but I see him, see him out there, so that's good news.
3: week, and when he returns the following week, he will begin installing the
2: trusses. Great. So we, we
3: also think we have a color scheme oh. to follows for the tin, and uh, once he, he does that, then uh, his part of the contract will be fulfilled, and it will be left to us at the church to do the balance, which is the trim and the cement flatwood.
2: Okay. Great. I'll direct you to Romans then, the fourth chapter, read verses 18 through 25, that's 1752 in the Pew Bible. This off for just a second. I just want to take a minute to thank you all for praying for Laura and her mom. Um, that's been been kind of rough. Um, not not really for mom. You know, she was really peaceful and contented, and uh, the caregivers up at Devonshire really loved her. and She was quite sweet. Um, Many of you have been through this already, so so you know. But um, to watch um, a parent, you know, to kind of steadily decline is is difficult. And and Laura's handled it well. And um, I know that uh, your prayer support uh, meant a lot. Um, many of you got a chance to meet Mom and Dad, and uh, I just wanted to say um, again, just how privileged we were to have them as as parents. They were, um, you know, they were kind of depression babies and um, uh, war babies as as they got, you know, up into their uh, early adulthood. And so they lived a very, very frugal life. But the Lord blessed them for their faithfulness, and so they were able to. They had resources to um, to help people, and many of you know that they uh, they helped this church for years, and um, they didn't want any recognition about that, and and it didn't. It didn't, wasn't to the detriment of their own church. That was over and above, and um, very supportive, and um, they lived um, a quiet. I'll say. Um, exemplary Christian life. They were prayer warriors. They prayed for us continually um, from their kids, from the time they were born, and then all the, all the married kids and all the grandkids by name on a daily basis. So, And it makes a difference. And, and those things are important. Um, I've told you before that I remember um, pretty distinctively Um, attending Mrs. Ludwig's Rosebuds and I would have been three or four years old and Mrs. Ludwig taught me some songs and at the very end um, up until maybe a month or so ago um, the only thing that she could manage to speak was Laura could get her to sing some of those songs and that's been 60 years ago so uh, again if you have Christian parents, it's a blessing. Um, if you're involved in um, in your church and Christian work, um, it, it's worth it. it. It means something. And it, now at the end, um, both of them are with their Savior, and um, I think they've both heard well done. So, um, if you'll stand with me, we'll open our service in prayer. George, would you mind?
0: Father, as we come to you in prayer this day, we give you thanks, Lord, that you have been so gracious to us to allow many of us to have Christian parents. And uh, as my brother said, how important it is. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be thoughtful in this way. It means so much to see a life that's changed by Christ, continue on, and do the right things for the right reasons. We're glad for our fellowship here and for the ability of us being able to uh, really gather and meet and worship together. Most of all, Lord, we pray this day that your word would go forth with power, that the Holy Spirit would make his presence known, and that souls would be saved for your name's sake. We ask now that blessing in Christ's name. Amen.
4: Amen. Do you take the red Trinity, Trinity hymnal this morning and turn to 470-470 in the red?
2: Our scripture reading again is taken from Genesis, the 18th chapter. We'll be reading together verses 1 through 15, page 24 in the Pew Bible.
3: Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. Jehovah appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them... He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There, in the tent, he said. And then Jehovah said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then Jehovah said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for Jehovah? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, Yes, you did laugh. Father in heaven, as we bring this before you, we pray your favor upon it and your blessing this holy and inspired scripture reading. Amen.
4: You take your brown hymnal and turn to number 466. 466 in the brown.
1: scripture text this morning is Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Our last study in the series the patriarchs considered the name changes that God had given to both Abram and Sarah which also meant a change in status for both of them. Abram, the name Abram means exalted father. And his name was changed to Abraham which means father of many nations. Sarai, princess, that's what her name meant. Her name was changed to Sarah which means noble woman. So A noble woman is a a co-ruler with a noble, and again, the idea that there would be promised nations and kings would come from her. Now, Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, are their old Chaldean names. Whereas Abraham and Sarah were their covenant names. Given by God himself as a sign that their lives now belong to him. And that from them God would fulfill his goal to have a people of God among the peoples of the world. With these new names came some new gains circumcision represented a circumcised heart, one that would not be ruled by the flesh but by the spirit of the living God and a godly offspring would walk blamelessly before the Lord. Secondly, Abraham was told both the name and the time of the promised son. In this case, God gave the name Isaac, which means God laughs. With a timetable of one more year to wait. One more year. And then we looked at what these spiritual gains and realities were. Abraham became a blessing to the world through the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, that was among his descendants. Secondly, our best posture before God is one of faith and submission, not promoting our own agenda. You remember, Abraham, when he heard about that God was going to bless him with a son, he started pushing for Ishmael, who was his son, by Hagar. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God had to keep correcting, Not, not, not Ishmael. She is born to the slave woman. I'm talking about Sarah, your duly wife, is going to have a son. Yeah, but she's an old lady. Sarah is the one that will have the son. Ishmael was born of the flesh. Abram still had procreative powers with her. But with Sarah, her womb was dead, the scripture speaks. And Sarah was not alone in that. Abraham's body was dead. God gave them this special child. Thirdly, we learned that only circumcision of the heart enables a person to walk before God and to be blameless. It's a heart issue. You have to have a changed heart. Well, in today's study, we're going to look at the mysterious visitors that appeared to Abraham. And as we come to our study, let's ask for God's enablement. Heavenly Father, send your word out to our hearts by way of Holy Spirit anointing so that we might learn the truths of your word. Oh, yes, we can read the English translation. We can understand the English words. That's not the issue. The issue is, will we understand the spiritual meaning of what you are relating in this translation? I pray that you will help us. Because if we don't get the spiritual meaning, we will have missed the reason for the scriptures. That we might come to know God and how he works among men. And what he desires of us as his people. We don't want to be in in the dark about this. You do, in fact, want to know what you have planned for us and how we're to accomplish it. We thank you for the scriptures. It doesn't matter that this is the first book of the Bible. It reaches out through all of the ages. It's still relevant for our day. It's dealing with beginnings, and it's talking about our roots, and I pray that we will see it. We didn't evolve. We didn't come from some amoeba somewhere. We came from the hand of the creator God who created us in his own image and laid out a plan for us to live in obedience to him. Honor your word. Exalt the Savior. Save whom you will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're looking today at this text in Genesis 18, which deals with three heavenly visitors that showed up at Abraham's door. He's under the great tree of Mamre. And verse 2 says, three men. So he's sitting in the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, verse 1. And he looks up and he sees three men standing nearby, verse 2. So in typical Eastern fashion, he rushed to greet them, saying, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And as the conversation unfolds, it's clear that Abraham is acting as a gracious host. Look at verse 4. Let a little water be brought, that you may wash your feet. Rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come before your servant. Now Abraham addresses three major needs for these visitors. They are hot. They are tired. They are hungry. The heat can be relieved if they will but position themselves under the big tree at Mamre. Their tiredness will be abated if they take some time to rest under the tree. Verse 4. Finally... Their hunger can be satiated if they'll but grant Abraham some time to prepare a meal for them. And in all this, Abraham is promoting himself as their servant. Verse 3, verse 5. Now let's remember that Abraham is not a servant. But the master of his own house. In actuality, you remember that when he rescued Lot from captivity, he did so with 318 trained servants, the scripture says. Brethren, that's, that's a small army. Chapter 14, verse 14. But all of this is laid aside when it comes to hospitality and hosting three strangers who have showed up at his door in the heat of the day. He's not about to let them fend for themselves when he had the provisions and the wherewithal to make them feel welcome and to alleviate some of the distress of the travel of those days. Does this not tell us that Abraham is a humble man? He's not above doing some of the menial tasks Necessary to be a gracious host. Paul said to the believers of Rome. For by the grace given to me. I say to every one of you. Don't think of yourselves more highly. Than you ought to think. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us. Has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same functions so in christ we are many but we form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given us and if a man's gift is prophesying let him use it in proportion to his faith if your gift is serving let him serve if it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Romans 12, verses 3 and five. It's important to see that God's people have multiple gifts from God. You should know this about yourself. The person with the gift of prophesying, preaching, is not precluded from serving. If a person has the gift of leadership, Abraham had it, that does not mean that he cannot show mercy to someone in need as God's people were called upon, I think, to wear many hats, not just one. I would caution you against the attitude as, well, that's not my job. Really? If it comes to your attention, it might very well be your job. There are no religious elite in Christ's church. And that was a major misunderstanding among the Pharisees of Jesus' day. On one occasion, Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee. You remember that. And while he was there, a woman of ill repute crashed the party and began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. The Pharisee was appalled, and Jesus read his thoughts. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself Ooh, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him (laughs) and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Luke seven verse thirty nine. Now that term sinner was used in the in the way it was said as meaning a prostitute. Doesn't he know she's a prostitute? Well, Jesus did know the kind of woman who was touching him, but he also knew the thinking of, thinking of Simon the Pharisee. So he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? Of course, he had. I came into your house, but you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Luke 7 verse 44 and following. Boy, what a different perspective here. Do we love like this? Do we love much? Abraham did. He did not rest on ceremony as the master of the estate. He did not confine himself to lording it over his guests. No, he sprang into action to make his visitors feel welcome and to ease the stress of their journey. John wrote to his parishioner, Dear friend, You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Third epistle of John chapter 1 verses 5 through 8. And as a bonus, the writer of Hebrews gives us this incentive. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13 verse 2. Brethren, this is, <laughs> this is Abraham in our text, literally. Literally. Entertaining angels without knowing it. Because if you look in the next chapter, chapter 19, verse 1 says, The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And verse 22 indicates that these were the two men, two of the men, among the three that showed up at Abraham's tent. And the third was the Lord himself. Think of it, the Lord was Abraham's house guest. Scripture says when the two angels turned south towards Sodom, verse 22 states, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. That's who that third house guest was. The Lord. This third personage among those Moses names three men, verse 2, was not a man at all. Nor, as we have already seen, were the two who showed up at Lot's house in Sodom, chapter 19, verse 1. When the translators capitalize Every letter in the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, they are referencing the sacred name of Jehovah, Yahweh. In contrast to verse 3, where Abraham addresses the leader of the three as my Lord, small l o r d, no caps. This latter usage of Lord would be similar but not identical to our use of the title Mr. It was a title evidencing respect for the person being addressed. You know, when we kids were growing up in our church family in Pennsylvania, Dad and mom made it clear to us that we were not to address our Sunday school teachers by their first name. No, you don't do that. Bob, Howard, whoever. It was always Mr. Winter, not Bob. Mr. Carlson, not Howard. And if we messed up and used their first name, if Dad heard us, he would ask, "Uh, what did you say? Who's this Howard you're talking about? Which meant that even in private, We were not to speak of these teachers on a familiar first name basis. We were taught respect for our elders, for those in authority. But you know that's a lost art in our day. Completely lost. It began in the 60s when police were called pigs by my generation And it continues today with people shooting police or otherwise showing disrespect for their authority. Throwing urine on them or paint or whatever. But Abraham conducted himself as a man of God compelled by the Spirit of God. What about this statement in verse 1? The Lord appeared to Abram... Near the great trees of Mamre. Appeared. Is the Hebrew word. It means to present oneself visibly. You know that God utilized a number of means. By which he revealed himself to these people. In Old Testament times. The writer of Hebrews references these saying. In Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Hebrews 1 1. Oh, various ways. Yeah. Well, some of those ways included dreams. For example, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. First Kings 3 verse 5. So dreams. Of the magi. Who found Jesus in Bethlehem. And whose every intent was to return to King Herod. With the Jesus child's location. As the king had instructed them to do. We read. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They returned to their own country by another route. Matthew 2 verse 12. And the very next verse, verse 13, states. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to reach out for the child to kill him. Matthew two verse thirteen. You should remember that the scripture, the scriptures were fluid at this time in history. What do I mean by that? They were being given by God in revelation, but not yet written written down. Eventually, they were written down, but not while they were being given. So they came by way of the scriptures in various ways. One of them was dreams. What about visions? Well, visions are simply daytime dreams. Daytime dreams. With a person fully conscious, but in an altered state. For example, the chronicler tells us, The other events of Hezekiah's reign and his acts of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 32. Or Ezekiel tells us something of the process. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia in the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had Seen went up from me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. Ezekiel 11, verse 24 and 25. So visions. Dreams, visions. Third means of God revealing himself was through theophany. What's theophany? Well, it's a compound word. Theos, which you know means God. That's the Greek word for God. And us to show with the same emphasis of being physically shown. So Jesus, referring to God the Father, told his disciples, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father, John 6 verse 46. And Paul tells us of God, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see in him, be honor and might forever, Amen. First Timothy six verse sixteen. So theophanies, seeing Christ in physical form. This means that the reference in our text, verse one, the Lord appeared to Abraham is referencing more accurately a Christophany, that is, a physical appearance of Christ Jesus, in a fleshly appearance, seeable, and one who could eat cheese and veal and drink milk, verse 8, and carry on a conversation with men. And incidentally, there are numerous such appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law. Jacob wrestling with a man. Remember that. Again, someone called man of God who appeared to Manoah's wife, the mother of Samson. And supportive of this truth that these appearances were of Christ is the translation Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, verse 1, translated Jehovah. Jesus took this title to himself in John 8, saying, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. John 8, verse 58. Boy, did that make the Jews mad. They knew what I am meant. That was the covenant name for Jehovah. So Jesus was saying, you know, I predate Abraham, this one you idolize as the father of your race. What would you think, what would you do if God were to visit your home? May I suggest that if you are a believer, he is there with you in your home because of Jesus' promise. I'll read it for you. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 14, verse 15 and following. If we could bring this into conscious memory and not forget it, would it not go a long way to end the squabbling and infighting that believers sometimes become embroiled in? I mean, speaking of the saints, God's people, Paul writes, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches Of this mystery. Which is. (coughs) Christ in you. The hope of glory. Boy there is a mystery. Christ in you. He goes on. We proclaim him. Admonishing and teaching everyone. With all wisdom. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this. And I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Colossians 1, verse 27 and following. How much of God's work is conducted with the energy of the sinful flesh, rather than with his energy. Abraham scurried to be what my dad calls the hostess with the mostess. It's one of my dad's favorite sayings. The hostess with the mostess. He began a virtual whirlwind of domestic hospitality. Another thing, my dad called him the white tornado. Verse 6, he hurried to Sarah and he said, quick, get some flour, knead it, bake some bread. Verse 7, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to his servant, who hurried to prepare it. In other words, Abraham is wasting no time dilly-dallying around in what men would call needless busy work. No, uh uh-uh. He is on a mission, and his mission is to make the Lord of glory a welcome guest in his home. Oh, did he know this visitor was the Lord? That's a question. Verse 27 tells us how Abraham addressed this visitor. Now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is less than fifty? Remember he's arguing for the not the utter destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he addresses this one he's arguing with as the Lord. Will you destroy Sodom? No, he knew this visitor was the Lord, but how did he know? Well, I suggest to you that he put the pieces of the puzzle together and saw the big picture. Well, what was the picture? Verse 9. Where's your wife, Sarah? (laughs) I didn't see anything that would indicate that Abraham had told these visitors the name of his wife. Abraham addressed her in preparing the food, verse 6, but every indication was that that conversation was between him and Sarah in private. Secondly, a familiar theme is mentioned by the one identified as the Lord, verse 10. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife will have a son. This was also stated in our last study. Verse 22, likely Sarah was not there to hear that. But this time she does because she is eavesdropping in the tent door. And she broke into a hush hysteria. Me, age 90, an old woman worn out. Verse 12, married to an old man. Ten years my senior. We together are going to have a baby when I am past the age of childbearing. Ah, Boy, that's a good one. Can't you just see her? I can. Oh, but she's not the only one who laughed at such an announcement. Chapter 17, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself... Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a son at the age of 90? And God laughed when he told Abraham to name his son Laughter. Isaac. And now Sarah laughs. You have to admit that producing a baby at age 90 and at age 100 respectively would put a smile on your face as well. (laughs) might give you heartburn. (laughs) But God isn't laughing funny. Ha ha. He doesn't say anything funny. And he called Sarah on it saying... Verse 14, is anything too hard for God? Well, we know the biblical answer. But when you're the prospective father or the intended mother, and the years have made you old and decrepit, I'm guessing that your faith, not to mention mine, would be tested beyond its limit, and we would laugh in unbelief too. What are you saying? while this couple was working feverishly to be the hostess with the mostess as they strove to please God with food and water and veal and milk you know what really pleases God it's to believe him when he speaks especially when he makes a promise The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. And that He does reward those who earnestly seek Him. That's what pleases God. Faith pleases God. Well, God rebuked Sarah for lying when she denied that she had laughed. Verse 15, but the promise remained intact. He didn't touch that. She, not a surrogate, would become a mother in her old age. When we come to the New Testament, neither Abraham nor Sarah are faulted for their doubts. Instead, they are praised for the faith that overcame those doubts. I'm glad we have the New Testament. It tells the other side of the story. Let me read it for you from Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Romans 4, 18 and following. And incidentally no less a commendation was said of Sarah by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 11. Let me read it. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had made the promise. You know the The New Testament is very important to add these. Paul Harvey used to say, and now you know what? The rest of the story. (laughs) He had that little statement that he made on the news. And now you know. What are some of the spiritual truths of this narrative? Number one, Abraham's eager willingness to step into the role of hostess teaches us that whatever position we may be in Christ, we never outgrow being a servant. Never. Can't you just see this patriarch, this father of the faith, scurrying around, ordering fresh bread from Sarah's kitchen, tender calf from his herd, That his servants are to dress and prepare uh, by the household chef. Milk in a pitcher. Cheese laid out on a tray. Just a flurry of activity. You all remember the rivalry between the disciples as to who among them was the greatest. Two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, encouraged their mother to ask the favor of Jesus, that when he came into his kingdom, they would be given the primo seats next to Jesus on his throne. Remember that? Jesus knew that this was not just a Zebedee brother problem, and so he called all the disciples together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life, and I might say sacrificially, as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 25 and following. Well, John was part of that attempted pandering that day. And he would later write, this is John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 John 3, verse 16. It's hard to be a servant to others, it is. It means you put others first and yourself last. It means you choose to do the distasteful, the menial, the unpleasant, so that others will not have to. But it's only in these ways that we truly walk in Jesus' sandals. And then finally, God comes to us as the great I Am of eternity when we make it our priority to worship and honor him. It's perhaps little known that this geographical location where Abraham set up his homestead and where these three visitors became his welcome guests was the very site of Abraham's worship of God. After the parting of Abraham and Lot because of the land could not support the massive herds of livestock they both possessed. The Bible tells us, So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord, to Jehovah. The great trees of Mamre, when so many other groves of trees in the Old Testament were set up by the pagans as worship centers. Yeah, but worship centers for their immoral idolatry of the Baal God and the Asherah Poles. Now this becomes the worship center for the great I Am, who alone is worthy of the worship, worthy of the honor. Would you uh, put your worship center, would you have built that in the place where... idolaters once had their idol worship I think it's significant it's Abraham saying I'll tell you who should be worshipped here the great I am it's not surprising then that it was there that God appeared to Abraham and Sarah and confirmed his ever presence to be their God, the God of the impossible, the God of promise. Finally, with the closing of the canon of scripture and the completion of the Old and New Testaments, we are not shortchanged when it comes to the revelations of God. The dreams, the visions, the theophanies may no longer be in play, but God has given us something superior. Hebrews chapter 1. Let me read it for you. In the past, the writer says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, Abraham, others, and so on, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We've been looking at some of those ways. Dreams, visions, appearances, theophanies, angelic messengers. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But, oh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand Of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Hebrews 1 1 to 4. We got something better than dreams and visions and theophanies and prophets and so on. We have the Son. Hebrews 10 verse 32 and following says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Hebrews 10, verse 32 and following. Oh, we're so far more blessed with what we know and what we have received because of Christ. They anticipated coming Christ, coming Savior. We have him. He's come. And yes, we anticipate another coming, the second coming, when all things will be straightened out. Sin will be no more. Satan and his kingdom will be destroyed. and the eternal kingdom will come about led by the king of kings and lord of lords even so come (laughs) lord jesus that was the prayer of the new testament saints boy and they went through it all and yet they could pray lord just come just come that's all we want Huh. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we praise you for it. It's a shining light to our skepticism. It's a reminder that your promises are real and lasting. And as the scripture says, that God is not slow in keeping his promise. but is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. What's he slow? No, he's not slow. He's working out his will, and not everyone is saved yet that's going to be saved. He's not going to close the door to salvation. He keeps the door open. We're thankful for that. We have children that yet need to know him. We have neighbors. We have friends. We have relatives. We have a country. We pray for the lost. We want his salvation to continue on and on and on. Even so, when we say, come Lord Jesus, we know that that ends it all. Lord, give us faith to trust you. Thank you for a man like Abraham, father of the faithful, sets his example before us. And we praise you in Jesus' name for men like this. And for women like Sarah. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the hymnal 471
4: anyone where you stand with me <clears throat>
1: Thank you, Lord, for the cross. That's the only way that we're going to get home. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness. Someone has to pay for our sins. We're going to pay for them ourselves. Or... We're going to believe that God has provided the only way of salvation in a sacrifice, the sacrifice of His beloved Son. If any are here today that think that they're not so bad as to earn the judgment of God, help them to see it just takes one sin one lie, one immoral thought or activity to brand them as a sinner. Say, well, that sounds pretty strict. It is, because God is holy. And the law is righteous and good, the scripture says. So the judge of the universe brings us before him and examines us by his word. and we come up short, we need a Savior who perfectly obeyed. So if there's any here today that has no knowledge of God and they've not given their heart to Christ in faith, grant them that faith to come. Grant them the repentance to turn away from their sin. And Lord, there'll be a new name written down in glory if they come to you in faith. And the scripture says the angels rejoice over one soul that repents. How precious. And we do thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you and appreciate it so much. Help us to be true witnesses for you to live out our faith. For you in Christ's name. Amen. We are dismissed.